I want you to, you know, cross your arms and fall backwards and trust that your coworker uh, will keep you from hitting the ground. Um, in essence, what those lessons, what that exercise is trying to reinforce, that trust requires submission. It requires submission. Um, I don't know if you've had feelings or if you've been at a point or a challenge or um, I guess a, a point is where I'm, is probably the better word, a point in your life where you just said, you know what, I'm just going to submit entirely. I'm just going to buy in, I'm going to go with it, I'm not going to allow doubt to hold me up, I'm just going to go and do it. Um, I had that feeling myself when I was, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you all, I know I've mentioned it to Heather maybe once or twice. Um, I, Merced High School, uh, back in the day, used to open up their pool for, to the public. Mm -hmm. And they had a springboard, and they had like a three-meter board. Or, it was I don't, I don't know the height, but it was a high, high dive, right? Mm -hmm. You couldn't go up to the high dive until you told the person, the lifeguard in charge, that you could swim, right? He did, and you had to be a certain age to go up there. So, at this moment, I saw kids having fun jumping off the the high dive. Now, I didn't know how to swim, not proficiently. I had I jumped into a pool, and you know, close to the edge, and I was. You know, I trusted in, you know, this concept of buoyancy, right? You know, if I went down, and I would eventually come back up, and as I came back up, I would be closer to the edge of, of the pool. Mm -hmm. I could grab on the pool. But I didn't know how to swim. But I saw these kids jump off, you know, and, and have fun, and so I was like, you know, I'm going to do it today. So I went up to the top of the high dive. And I was challenged. I looked down and I was like, you know what? I just gotta go. I just I just gotta jump. I have to take the plunge, but I was smart. Being that I didn't know how to swim, I said, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to jump at an angle towards the edge of the pool. Right? So I got up on that high dive and you know, I was conflicted. I was a double-minded high diver at that moment. I was thinking, I really don't know if I can do this, but I'm just going to go ahead and do this. So I jumped at an angle. Okay, when I hit the water, it was extremely painful because I was jumping at an angle. And I landed, instead of straight up and down, I landed kind of like this. And I hit the ground. I remember this like it was yesterday. I hit the ground. <laughs> All the air got knocked out of me, right? I went down, and I was struggling. Struggling to get back up. <laughs> Thankfully, I got to the service. Um, the, uh, the, uh, the lifeguard jumped in, and he, he kind of grabbed me by the arm, and I got to the edge, and he said, are you okay? I said, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, the... What anybody will tell you, what any diver will tell you is you have to trust and obey for there's no other way 
to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And what I mean by that is that it requires trust mm -hmm. and obedience. It requires submission. If you're going to do anything scary, if you're going to do anything that puts yourself at risk, if you're going to do anything that, that's going to put you out there, you have to go in with a full head of steam, trusting and obeying in something. You, you can't go into it wavering because inevitably you're going to do like I did. You're going to hit the water. It'll be painful. The risk, the true risk of failure increases. I want to start off by reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 22. And as we, as we read through this, I'm going to add in, I'm going to insert some moments where the characters in this account could have doubted. And what the ramifications of that doubt would have been if they didn't truly trust and obey the commandments of God. In Genesis chapter 22, in verse number 1, it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. And we know that you know, God doesn't tempt. In this, in this context, God was testing the faith of Abraham. It says that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. Here I am. And he said, Take now thy son. Thou only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, or his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide here, abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. I want to stop there and I want to talk about trust. Now, Abraham was commanded by God to take his only son Isaac up into the mountain and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Abraham got up. It says that he rose up early in the morning, assumed the very next day, and he took two of his young men, a donkey and his son, loaded them up with wood, and off they went. It's interesting to note in verse number 5 that when they reached the place where the offering was to, be, uh, was to be given on the third day, he told the young men to wait. Why didn't he tell them to wait? He told them to wait and look after the donkey. And myself and my son will go up yonder and worship and come again to you. He didn't say that one of us is going to come again. We're going to go up into this mountain and worship, and we will come back again to you. Now, Abraham knew what God had told him to do. We'll continue on. In verse number 6, it says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. Somebody had to carry the wood, Better the young lad to do. 
And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Now Abraham, trusting in God, said this. My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And it came to a place where God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I want to stop there and I want to talk about trust for a second. Now, I, we understand, right, that um, this book here, this account here is written in, in the third person. Am I saying that right? Yes. Right, meaning that it's not, it's not written giving us insight into what Abraham was thinking, the emotions that he was feeling, um, the intents of his heart. But what we do know, based on his actions, is that he trusted in God. He did not make any preparations for a plan B. He, he, he had his wood, he had the fire, he had his son. Even when he had an opportunity to express his doubt, or his trepidation. When his son Isaac asked him, okay, we got everything for, um, you know, an offering, but where is the offering? Abraham responded by saying, you know, really, son, I really don't know. I'm just doing what God is telling me to do, and I trust that God will provide for himself an offering. Knowing full well what the offering was to be. Now, we don't know if there was a struggle when Abraham bound his son. We don't know if uh, Isaac was like, whoa, hold on, Dad, what, what are you doing? You know, I can't be the offering. We don't have that insight, but what we do know is that Abraham bound his son, laid him on the wood, was going to what? Slay him. Why didn't Abraham just set him on fire? Right, because again, Abraham had been commanded by God to give him as a burnt offering. Yes. Mm -hmm. Why didn't Abraham just lay him on the wood and set the wood on fire? I mean, it was to be a burnt offering. Well, if you go back and you look at the, uh, um, you know, forward in the scripture, rather. Um, the custom was that they didn't burn the animal alive. They killed it first, mm -hmm. allowed the blood because that was important. It, it, you know, the atonement for sins required the shedding of blood. So it made sense that Abraham had to kill his son first and then burn his body. Yet and still, even before that, Abraham said to his young men, you stay here. Because we're going to go up and worship and we'll come again to you. It says in verse number 11 that the angel of the Lord called him out of heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou 
fearest God. And I want to talk about fear for a second. If you look up the word fear in the scripture, it means that there's, you know, there's some, uh, you know, there's some, uh, there's a future, you are afraid of a future torment, right? There is an uncertain future, and certainly that uncertain future may bring about some form of pain or discomfort. But in the scripture, fear means something different. We've talked about it before that uh, you know, in the book of Ecclesiastes 12 and 13, the whole duty of man is to not be afraid of God, but fear Him and keep His commandments. Fear, in a biblical sense, requires or denotes respect. And also, submission. In this verse here, in verse number 12, the angel said, God knows now for sure that you respect him, that you're willing to wholly submit to him. Seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in, in the stead of his son. Amen. Denver Bibles turn to Psalms, the 115th chapter. Psalms, the 115th chapter, starting at, uh, uh, let's look at verse number 9. The, the psalmist right here, <clears throat> writes here, rather, he says, O Israel, trust thou in the Lord, for he is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord, he is their help. And their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord, he is their help and their shield. The Lord hath been mindful of us, he will bless us, he will bless the house of Israel, he will bless the house of Aaron, he will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. Trust is an important part of any relationship. Right? A husband's um, in order for the marriage to be successful, need to be able to trust in their wives. You know, wives, in order for the marriage to be successful, need to be able to trust in their husbands. You know, the relationship between uh, uh, parents and children requires trust. Right? The, 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 the kids need to trust their parents that what is coming out of their mouths, the advice that they are given is for their benefit. Conversely, the parents need to be able to trust in their children that when they leave their house, when they're not around their children, that their children will take their parental advice and actually act upon it. Trust requires mutual respect. Amen. You know, if you look back at what the scripture says about 
you know, the relationship between parents and the children and, and husbands and wives. It's built on mutual respect and also submission. The scripture tells the, tells the wife that she is to subject herself to her husband or be in subjection to her husband in all things. Conversely, the husband is to what? Give himself to his wife. Love his wife. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Children are to give obedience to their parents in all things. But parents are also to instruct the children and not provoke them to anger or to wrath. Mutual respect is required in trust. And if you look here at what the psalmist is saying here, is that the Lord God will bless those who fear Him. Trust in the Lord, and He will be your help and your shield. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important when we talk about the reason why trust is even a humanly concept to begin with. If you have your Bibles, turn over to, uh, and this is a verse we, we read last Lord's Day, um, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, we talked about uh, um, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. If you remember... Um, that was a scripture in last Lord's Day. We said, but godliness with contentment is, is great gain. Mm -hmm. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we will carry nothing out. It goes on to say, and having food and raiment, let us there be therewith, let us be therewith content. And they that will they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and to many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. How is, how is love of money the root of all evil? What is evil? You know what evil is? Evil is anything that is contrary to the will of God. It is God's will that we what? That we fear Him and keep His commandments. So the love of money prompts every man, woman, and I would say even say child, to go against their whole, go against the duty of mankind, which is to fear God and keep His commandments. Um, it goes on to say in this very same chapter, just to make this more, uh, to, to bring this to light, it says in verse number 17, Paul told Timothy, he said, Charge them that are rich in this world, and they that, be, and that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, which giveth us richly all things to enjoy to love money means that you are putting your trust in that money. If you love money, you're not loving God. 
And if you're not loving God, you're not trusting and obeying God, which by definition is the source of evil. If you look at what Paul is telling Timothy, he'd tell Timothy to go to the rich and tell them to not put their respect and their submission in uncertain riches, but in the living God. The song is very important. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Amen. Okay, you may not fully grasp, may not be fully grasping this, but if you have your Bibles, <clears throat> go over to First uh, uh, Peter. And actually, before we go to First Peter, let's let's go to James again. And uh, Brother Marzette, um, can you read uh, James chapter one, uh, verses uh, one through ten? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve excuse me, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. <clears throat> My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God and giveth to all men liberally, and unbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, not wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven in the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. But the rich in that he is made low, but, but the rich in that he is made low, because all the, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. So what do you think James is again trying to tell us here? Well, when I read this, when I read this, it, what James is trying to tell me is I have to commit to something. I have to commit to spiritual growth. I can't be 50-50, I can't be 70-30, I can't be 80-20, I can't be 90-10. I've got to be 100% invested in my spiritual growth. If I'm not 100% invested in my spiritual growth, then what is, what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to be, I'm going to fall from grace. I'm not going to reach my full potential. As it says there, I will be unstable in all of my ways. I won't be perfect and entire. I won't be entirely complete if I fail to fully invest in spiritual growth. Spiritual growth requires trust. And for that, <clears throat> again, turn over to uh, 1 Peter. 
in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll look at, uh, let's say, um, verse number 13. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 13, uh, the, uh, the Apostle Peter says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's works, pass the time of your surjoining here in what? In respect and submission. For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish, who verily was, a, was, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was, but was manifest in these last times for you. And it goes on to talk about um, the, this hope and this faith that we can find through Jesus Christ and, and so forth and so on. But what it says here is that in order to be holy, as he is holy, you've got to have fear. You have to have a reverent respect and submission to God. Um, if we continue, if we, if we go back to uh, what Paul said, and I know we talked about this morning in our scripture, uh, excuse me, our Sunday morning Bible class in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Why is it, or how is it, that Paul was able to say in verse number 6, I'm good to go? With confidence. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, how was he able to say those things? I am now ready to be offered. In verse number 8, there is a crown of righteousness waiting for me. He was able to say that because he trusted and obeyed. He was able to, with 100% of himself, give respect and submission to God. Think about it for a second. The person that you trust most in this life, what do you trust them with? I trust Heather. I trust my mom. Those are two women that I trust unequivocally. And why can I say I trust them? Or to what degree do I trust them with? I trust them with my very lives. That is not to say that I believe in their, their strength of, the strength of their arms, right? It doesn't mean that I believe in their, uh, or trust in their, their money, or their eloquence of speech, or even their wisdom. What I trust is that if it were possible for them to save my life, they would sacrifice their own in order to make that happen. 
bed. Okay. Maybe maybe it's the, the heater that's on. Maybe it's the rain. It's good sleeping weather right now. Okay, so I'll, I'll say that again. The person that you trust most in your life, when it comes down to it, where it's a choice between them or you, how much do you trust them? I trust that Heather would jump in front of a speeding train to save my life. I trust that my mom would drink poison to save me any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Heather eats, takes a bite out of my hamburger. I don't want to say just a bite out of my hamburger. Any food. She takes a bite out of and she got it from her mother as well. And the excuse is, well, I love you enough, i got to make sure there's not any poison in it. And I know she's saying that in gist, but that is a testimony to their trust. I trust my mom because she gave up everything to be my mom. And I trust in God because he gave up everything to be my father. Yeah. If you have your Bibles, turn back to the uh, scripture reading. <clears throat> Thomas, uh, can you read for us again the scripture reading Psalms 37.3? Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Read the next verse, please. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. What is the desire of your heart? Well, to the rich, the desires of their heart has nothing to do with money. The rich don't necessarily desire to have more money. What they desire is something else. They, they know what the money will get them so they desire the money as a vehicle to get them the, the honor, uh, the prestige, um, the good feelings of not being able to, not having to worry about anything. Whatever the case may be. But what is, it, what is the desire of your heart? Well, to the Christian, the desire of the Christian's heart is to get to heaven. Amen. If you have your Bibles, and this is the last verse that we're going to look at, and then I'll, I'll finish it. <clears throat> Matthew Oh boy, sorry. I had it marked, and I lost it. Give me a second. Matthew chapter 6. Sorry, Matthew chapter, yeah, I had it right. Matthew chapter 6, starting verse number 19. It says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust do it corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doeth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. 
Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, <clears throat> it was easy for my mom to give up everything to be my mom. Because she loved me. And it's easy for me to die. It would be easy for me to readily die for my mom or for my wife because I love them. You know, my goal in life for my wife and for my kids is that uh, I provide them, uh, is I can provide them a life where they can truly find joy and happiness. The reason why I trust in God is because I know where I want to be. But more importantly, I know what God did for me. I know that God, because He loved me so much, He gave His only begotten Son to die on the cross for my sins. And therefore, because of that great sacrifice, it's my reasonable service to respect and submit to His will. Because he did that so that he could save my life. Jesus died on the cross to save my life. God gave himself, Jesus the Christ. And we know that uh, <clears throat> going back and, and looking at uh, John the first chapter, that in the beginning God and the Word were together. And later on that Word became flesh in the form of Jesus. Jesus was God in the flesh. And God sacrificed himself so that I could live. My mom would do that every day of the week. My wife would do that for me every day of the week and twice on Sunday. And so, because I know that they love me enough to sacrifice, I trust in the words that are spoken from their mouths. I know that the only the words that they speak, the things that they say are for my benefit, because I know that they that they would willingly die if the occasion called for. And I trust them because of that, because of their love, their love of self-sacrifice. And so I, I can easily submit. I can easily give respect to those two women in my life. Moreover, I can give that kind of respect to God. Jesus says again, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So where is your heart today? Yeah. Is your heart with money or with physical things? Or is your heart where it says, up in heaven, where moth or rust or thieves can corrupt or steal. And if your heart is with God, as God's heart is certainly with you, then you can trust and obey Him. You can fully give Him your respect. You can fully submit to His will. And as a, as a song says, you will be happy you will have joy in your life. If you're a Christian here this morning, and you've been having difficulty trusting, well, the, the, the issue 
is fundamental. The fundamental issue is that your heart is not with God. If you can't fully submit to his will, when he says jump, you jump. If he says, go take your son up into the mountain and give him for a burnt sacrifice, you sit there and uh, argue with God. Or do it half-heartedly, like I did. Jump towards the edge of the pool because, you know, you'd like to do it, but you're still a little scared. Take that plunge as a Christian and dive into God. And what you'll find is, is that God, as he says here in, in the Psalms, in the, in the three or four verses in the book of Psalms, what will he do? He will bless you. As we've said, if we trust in the Lord, what will he do? He will give us richly all things that he has. All good things. Amen. All you got to do is jump in with both feet. Trust in him. We talked about this morning about why it is so difficult to be a prudent man or a prudent woman of God. It's difficult because you've got one foot in the pool and one foot out. It's difficult because you haven't fully invested yourself. It's difficult because you are double-minded. Jump in. If God was willing to give His only begotten Son to die on the cross to save your eternal soul, why wouldn't you expect Him, when you jump in, to also take care of it? To bless you. To give you all the things that you truly need and truly want in this life. As we go into this upcoming week, let's trust and obey. Amen. There's uh, a lot of people at my job who are kind of a little anxious. Right there, the company's going through some downsizing. I may not have a job next week myself. Even in spite of that, how can I have how can I put a smile on my face? I can put a smile on my face when I trust and obey. Because I know if I trust and obey, God will be there to bless me. You know, as it say, trust in the Lord and He will lift you up? Absolutely. If you will simply trust and obey. So lesson again is yours. If you have a need to do so, please come forward. As we send, sing the song. When